Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver and Al Warren. Heard on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs. What we're doing is we've got the author of Shallow Graves, and that's the new Bedford Highway serial killer. And uh, her name's Maureen Boyle. Thank you for taking the time to be on the show. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Now, this is another one. You know, we've been finding them a lot lately about uh, serial killers that are out there or have been out there. And they've done quite the uh, a lot of killings. And it just sort of doesn't get media attention or drops off the wayside. Like nobody talks about it. This is one I'd never heard about until I came across actually Wayne on Facebook, and it was just kind of accidental in a way. Um, so, so it's strange. Um, what do you think causes that? Like, what, what, what is it that gets the attention for so many people in a certain killing and not others? Well, in in this case, um, it was the time that it happened, uh, 1988. Uh, this is sort of pre-social media, pre-everyone's-on-a-computer days. And so that it got a lot of attention regionally in New Bedford, Providence, Boston, and also in um, in the Hartford, Connecticut area, because well, one of the investigators uh, was on the Connecticut State Police. Um, there was some uh, national stories. Uh, CBS did a, a piece on it back in the, uh, the late 80s, early 90s. But because there wasn't the uh, uh, social media uh, that we have today. That's part part of it. Um, and it 
wasn't New Bedford was not uh, next to a major city was not in if this happened in New York City or Washington DC or uh, Chicago or even LA perhaps it would have been uh, much more attention and the other thing with this case is by the time investigators realized what was going on uh, the killings had already stopped so even when it was a very active investigation the killer wasn't actively killing that we know of. Uh, what, what happened in this case, as a, uh, a frame of reference for anyone who just may be tuning in now, uh, in 1988, 11 women went missing in, the, uh, in New Bedford. That is a uh, fishing uh, port in southeastern Massachusetts. It's about uh, 45 minutes from Cape Cod, 45 minutes from uh, Providence, and uh, on a good day, about an hour and a half from Boston, uh, given traffic. Yeah. Uh, the women went missing between March and September of 1988, uh, and their bodies were found between July of 88 and April of 89. However, investigators did not realize that they had this type of a case until roughly October of 1988. And that was when it really became clear that there was a number of uh, women who had drug problems had gone missing in the city. Uh, the women didn't go missing all at once. Uh, they weren't reported missing all at once. So there were no uh, alarms sounded early on that there was uh, this type of a case go uh, happening. Uh, that was one of the investigative hurdles that they had to overcome, that they just, they came to the case late. And by the time they came to the case, it was over, at least in terms of the, the act of killing. So, the, so uh, I was going to say, so how were they killed <clears throat> in general? In, um, they know that two of the women were strangled, uh, and they believe all the women were strangled. Uh, when the women were found, uh, they're all, uh, they had been out there for quite some time, so their skeletal remains. So it was very difficult to uh, determine cause of death or, and some other issues. Um, but given the evidence that was found on two of the women, uh, they believed that they, uh, those two were strangled, and they believed that all of them, uh, they suspect all of the women uh, were strangled. Um, now, 11 women went missing. Only nine uh, bodies have been found and two of the women remain missing. So they're, they're out there someplace. Um, most likely either along one of the highways and um, they haven't been found or they're, uh, they were dumped someplace else. And now if I understand that right too, the, the, the two um, women that were not found uh, both had policemen as relatives. Uh, yes, they did. Uh, one of the women, Marilyn Cardoza Roberts, uh, she was uh, the daughter of a retired New Bedford police officer and Christina Montero. Her mother was engaged to a uh, Dartmouth, uh, Massachusetts police officer. Dartmouth is a, uh, a town right next to New Bedford. So they, yeah. Yeah, so the, they have not, not been found, been found yet. Um, most of the women were found by um, a search dog uh, out of Connecticut. Uh, 
a guy named Andy Redman, who's now on the, uh, the West Coast. He is the pre- absolutely premier uh, search uh, and rescue trainer. And at that time, he was working for the Connecticut State Police, and he had what was known as a cadaver dog. It was a dog that was uh, trained to find the dead. And they brought his, he came in in November uh, with his dog, and he found a number of the women, including the first woman to have been identified. And she was identified through a, uh, just by luck through a fingerprint. Do you know, um, so those two women not found, how do they determine that it belonged to the Ned New Bedford Highway Killer? Uh, You know, obviously nothing is absolutely certain. However, based on their victimology, uh, they're both uh, addicted to drugs. They both had, uh, you know, very, very serious drug problems, uh, and they disappeared in that time time period. So that's why they believe that they, they are part of that cluster. Is there, is there any reason that they would there would be two that would be particularly not found? Like, I find that interesting that, um, because obviously whoever was doing the killings, um, dumping them by the interstate there, they were not scared of the bodies being found. Well, you know, what's interesting is that the, how the bodies were found, they were dumped uh Right, um, yeah, they were on the you know off the highway, but they were in the brush, so that if you were driving by, you would not have seen the women. You would have to stop and walk into the the brush a little bit. Uh, the first woman who was found, she was found by a woman who was uh, driving north on uh, Route 140. That's a secondary highway in here in Massachusetts. And she was going driving driving north, and she had to. Um, use a bathroom. So she pulled over to the side of the road and, you know, trotted off into the brush and lo and behold, that's how she, uh, how the first body was found. Um, the second body was found in a, really in a similar manner. Two men on motorcycles were on Route one, uh, 195, which is the roadway that goes across from, uh, from Providence, Rhode Island, uh, to Cape Cod. Uh, linking uh, to Cape Cod. And these two men pulled over because they needed to use the facilities and trotted into the brush, and lo and behold, they found the second pot, uh, the second remains. So that's how the uh, at least two of the women uh, were found. And another woman was found by two boys playing, uh, or looking, for, actually looking for a lost dog in the woods. Um, and they can't stumbled upon her uh, off of another roadway. So they weren't easily found, but they weren't really all that hidden. It is pure luck that they were found because someone stopped. Right, right. uh, Two of the women were found uh, by a state highway cleanup crew. Huh. Yeah. Now, now, were these what were the what was the typical thing done? Were these women attacked just to be killed, or were they raped as well? Were they tortured? Like, what was what was kind of the mo of, of this killer? Um, you see, that's that's the a million dollar question uh, because they were found uh, weeks 
and in most cases months after they were killed, it was really uh, difficult to determine uh, what happened. Um, were they sexually assaulted? Uh, there might be indications in one of the cases that uh, a woman may have been, uh, but that's not positive. They weren't able to positively determine that uh, because of the condition of the bodies, that they were skeletal remains. And so a lot of the forensic evidence uh, would have been washed away or uh, you know, through time, rains, heat, animals, uh, uh, just the elements uh, destroyed some, some of the evidence that they may have wanted. Right. Right. So, so there, I mean, there, there wasn't anything that would, um, you asked about torture, there wasn't anything that would indicate something like that. Right. So we don't really know what the deal was, like what, other than, of course, they showed up dead, but we don't know if there yeah. was more to it. Was there something similar about the age, ages or the looks or the style of the person? Yeah, yep, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, all the women were were relatively petite which is not unusual if someone is in the throes of a, a drug addiction because uh, most addicts are very, very thin. Um, but they were relatively petite, thin, uh, all but one were white. Um, and so, so they had, you know, so, uh, one woman was blonde, but they, you know, they, they from a distance perhaps someone could say, yes, they, they look similar. Hmm. So when this this all um, went down, um, it seemed like when we talked to Wayne, a lot of the um, issues he had were the police uh, were maybe not as interested or as invested in the problem in the killings because of the drug drug addiction and or prostitution by some of these ladies. Um, d did you find that to be true? Um, no, I did not. Okay. Um, you know, uh, you know, obviously there, there will be some, you know, nasty people out there who would, would, you know, try to blame the victim. You know, that there's, you will always find that. But of the investigators that were working the case, I can tell you that they really worked hard. And, uh, you know, I was a, a young reporter when this happened. I was covering it originally for the Standard Times in New Bedford. Um, and I spent a number of years of my life covering this, uh, covering this case. And I, I, I thought I knew a lot about the case. But then when I was doing additional research for the book um, and found out even more about what investigators did that the public wasn't even aware of, uh, they did look in every little corner. Um, and they really did want to solve the case. Um, the investigators really developed an affinity to all of the families. They really wanted to solve it for the families. Um, New Bedford is a, a fairly small city, and just about everyone knows everyone. <laughs> or, you know, there's that, that third degree of separation in the city. Uh, so even today, there's an awful lot of people in that area who knew the victims, uh, knew someone in their family, um, knew someone who knew them. And, and that's the same with the, the investigators. A number of the investigators uh, knew different uh, members of some of, the, uh, some of the families or their relatives. 
But they really did want to solve the case, and they did work very, very hard. Because I, I recall seeing uh, a few of the investigators, you know, early in the morning, they were out there uh, looking for witnesses or in court, looking for people who may have known some of the uh, the victims, and then they were back there at night uh, talking to anyone who is on the streets who may or may not have had any information. Uh, they looked at such a wide range of suspects, the suspects that range from fishermen and truck drivers and uh, doctors and lawyers and real estate agents and businessmen and uh, manual laborers and drug dealers and people who ran uh, video production businesses and you name it. It ran the gamut. Uh, they interviewed people who picked up girls on the street. They interviewed people who got help for girls on the street. Um, they interviewed police officers, uh, past and present. Uh, I mean, they did not eliminate anyone as a suspect. They looked at sex offenders. Um, they looked at who was out on the street, who was a newly released sex offender. They looked at, uh, they wound up making a number of arrests, by the way, um, of individuals who had attacked women who were working the streets. There was at least three additional arrests of um, of men who had either sexually assaulted or beaten women uh, quite severely um, during that period of time. And part of that came through the investigation where they really made a massive push to try to solve this. So so what was the disconnect then? Why do you think it wasn't solved? Like with so many, you set up to 11 and really in, it looks like just over a year period of time, um, even if they started it late, um, they they just couldn't find anybody? Yeah, they, they couldn't develop a timeline. Uh, and that was a real problem. There was a couple of the, the women where they had a halfway decent timeline. Uh, one woman who, you know, left her boyfriend's house. She had an argument with him. And she left and then disappeared. Uh, another woman, but she wasn't reported missing right away. Uh, he went looking for her. And then a week or so, two weeks later, he notified her asked her mother if she was if she heard from her and then eventually her mother about a month or so after that reported her missing um another uh woman she was reported pretty quickly within uh within two days uh she left walking home and uh from a bar and just seemed to have vanished and they were able to uh, develop a timeline of her walking up to a certain point and then that was it. And no one seemed to see what happened to her after that. A third woman was at a bar in downtown New Bedford um, and she had been at a friend's house and then was at a bar and people put her there and then no one knew what, no one came forward to say what happened after that point. So there's, um, that's where the, and she was reported uh, missing fairly quickly. But there was no, um, they would get to a certain point and there was, 
no one that could say, yes, I saw this person get in the car or I saw this person with so-and-so. There was none of that. So, so they kind of lived pretty transient life, um, no, nothing really structured. Well, it, it, some of the women uh, did, but not not all of them. Uh, what what it what what I mean, it, it wasn't a, a, a situation where you would have, you know, someone uh, you know someone went to work at uh, eight o'clock and they're always home at four o'clock and they didn't show up at four. They left work, you know, they left work at three forty-five. They walked down the street, stopped at a store, and and the store clerk saw the person get into a, a vehicle, and they could name the vehicle. There, there, there isn't anything like that. Right, right. You know, and, and in some of the cases, you know, the women uh, disappeared disappeared at night, um, either you know walking or uh, at a at a club, that that sort of thing. And they weren't reported missing immediately. And when they were reported missing, there really wasn't an alarm out there that they were in danger. There was not an indication early on uh, that there was something desperately wrong. Hmm. Now, so now this is unfortunately that was that was in the. in one case, one one woman, her her husband reported her missing very very quickly. He went looking all over the place for her, so he was very very concerned, and he reported her missing uh, very very quickly. Another woman, her boyfriend reported her missing very 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 quickly. Um, but in some of the cases, uh, the women went missing, and everyone thought that they were someplace else. You know, it was a situation like that. Yeah, yeah, and you're not going to be thinking that, you know, they've been killed or attacked. You're just, you know, they're just not there. Yeah. Um, uh, now, a very big question. Do you think um, that people, the victims, are treated differently because of their lifestyle or perhaps something that they do? Um. It, it depends on, on, on where you were, where you're sitting. Uh, from where I was uh, viewing it, from uh, as a reporter, and at that time as a police reporter, and seeing what police officers, at least the police officers that were investigating the case, were doing, uh, they were not viewing the victims differently. However, they had to investigate the case differently because they had different types of witnesses. If you you understand what I mean, they, yeah. they were yeah. the witnesses. Some of the witnesses, some of their best witnesses, were other drug addicts, and and that that posed a problem because some of the addicts that they were interviewing did not have. Uh, they had good memories but not good timelines. Uh, trying to pin, pin down a specific date was very difficult. You know, when was the last time you saw so-and-so? Um, well, I, it was a day I went to, you know, I had to meet with my parole officer, okay, or probation officer, 
so then they would go to court to figure out what the date was of, of you know that the person was um, met with a probation officer it, and and they had to go back to witnesses and talk to them about events that happened months and months earlier and even if you did not have a drug problem uh, it's very difficult for anyone to remember what they did on a specific day months earlier unless there's a reason for it you know if uh, if you were um, if it was your birthday you would remember that you saw someone on that date because mm. you remember the day um, but if it's just an average day uh, people might not remember and right. it, and if you don't have a full-time job which many of the addicts do not have um, sometimes it's difficult for them to remember if it was a Monday Tuesday Wednesday you know what day of the week it was so that yeah. posed another pro- that posed another problem yeah yeah yeah, I could see that. I, I, that happens to me now. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, it happens to me also. It's like, okay, what day is it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes you have to really think and try to figure out what happened that day. And and I understand that. And uh, it's it's really too bad. Now, do you think now this serial killer went for a year or so? It looks like. Why do you think he? left New Bedford all of a sudden, like, uh, you know, let's say went through uh, 11 bodies and killings and then just is gone. Is that the same old story of perhaps they got arrested or something else happened? And and, 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 and that is, oh, that is very, very intriguing why he stopped. Um, and, and I think the only way we're going to know is once he's caught or we know who it was. Uh, the thinking is that one, he's dead. He died. Two, he went to jail. Uh, Three, he moved on someplace else. Uh, Or four, for whatever reason, he just stopped. Um, And sometimes serial killers do stop for a period of time. Even though people always like to think that they continue forever, uh, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes they do stop for, uh, you know, several years. So that that could have happened. We just don't know. Would you, do you think that, um, did you come across any other murders or series of murders in other towns or other areas close by that uh, had the same same kind of killing and MO and that possibly Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. He could have just moved. Well, there had been some killings in Connecticut, uh, Route 8, uh, a few years prior to that. And I know that they, the police looked at, at that. They looked at other killings throughout the country. Um, during this period of time, they did uh, one investigator who uh, flew out to, um, to talk to the investigators in the Green River killings case. Uh, to see, okay, what lessons were learned in that case and what could they um, they do differently in the New Bedford case. They they did look, you know, to see, okay, could it have been the same killer? Uh, but they, they didn't believe that, obviously. Right. But even in Green River, the, it appears the killer there had stopped uh, for a period of time that anyone that we know of, um, and then he, he was caught years later. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think we really know all the ins and outs, but uh, this this um, this killer now, uh, at the time, of course, it's 1989 80, and 88. 88, yeah, yeah, 1988. Okay, so DNA was not really a, a, a thing. Um, no. Now, did, the, were they, did they save kits? From, from the bodies or clothes or any sort of material from any of the um, victims that they had? And could they get DNA from it now, possibly? Yeah, they, they did uh, preserve the evidence. And over the period of years, um, they did uh, do a seri- uh, 
series of tests as uh, forensic science, uh, there's been advances in forensic science. Um, and obviously, because it's considered a quote-unquote open case, they're not saying what they have and what they've tested. Um, however, they, they have done a number of tests, uh, both in private labs, the FBI, and the uh, Massachusetts State Police Lab. Um, and everything is still just there. Uh, I suspect some of the DNA was um, not in the best of shape uh, when they collected it, if they had any uh, DNA samples. Uh, but, you know, in the future, perhaps they might be able to um, find something that's usable if they don't already have something usable. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Back in uh, 88, of course, DNA was really just starting to be used in the criminal justice system, uh, both in the court and in uh, law enforcement. And back then, they, they needed very large samples of DNA for testing, and some of the, the samples wound up, wound up being uh, destroyed in testing. Uh, so they didn't, they, any samples that they had at that time um, were, would have been relatively small. So they would have been very, very careful in what they did, what they used, what they tested, what they didn't test. But they do have an awful lot of things preserved already. Oh, maybe it's possible then. Um, now, were there any, did, there were suspects, you said. So were there any that there were pretty good suspects, as in you think that that's a good possibility and they just didn't have the evidence or something happened? Did, were any of the suspects really um, that you've looked at in your investigation, did, was there any that still kind of think, well, that, that might be the guy? Well, there were, there were so many suspects. There really were. Uh, they had, they looked at one group of suspects. Uh, these were sex offenders who were uh, locked up in what is called the Center for the Sexually Dangerous here in uh, Massachusetts. And that uh, the sex offenders are civilly committed for a day to life once they finish their, their prison terms. Or they can be also serve the prison terms at the, at the center. And at that time in 1988, the center was furloughing some of the uh, the offenders, they were releasing them on furloughs anywhere from a few hours a day to number of days uh, unsupervised during the week. Uh, in one case, there was one sex offender who left the center on a set Sunday night and didn't return until um, the uh, Friday night. So he would be out all week long. Um, and the thinking at that point was these offenders are going to uh, need to be reintegrated into the community and they have to learn how to live in the community and not reoffend and that sort of thing. Uh, but the bottom line was that the worst of the worst offenders uh, were out there on the streets during that period of time. So some of those offenders could be, um, could be the killer. Uh, they did have two very strong suspects. Uh, one individual who was an attorney was indicted in one of the killings 
I know the district attorney at that time really liked him for the case. Uh, unfortunately, there was no evidence to convict him. So that when the district attorney who was in, in charge during the bulk of the investigation, he lost the election. The new district attorney came in, hired a special prosecutor to, hand, to handle that case. He looked at the evidence and found that there was absolutely no evidence that, to bring the case to trial. So they dismissed the, uh, the indictment. Now, right around that time when they dismissed the indictment, a um, second suspect uh, who was awaiting trial for sexually assaulting and strangling uh, some of the girls on the street, he um, he committed suicide shortly after they announced that they were going to be dropping the charges against the first suspect, against the attorney. So um, that's, either one of those were uh, considered good suspects, but again, no evidence to tie them to murder where they could be tried for murder. Uh, they And they had a list of sex offenders who could have been... Uh, could have been the killer yeah. and it could be a wild card out there that we just don't know right right it could be something uh transient um yeah. now what what brought you to write this book how did you get involved in this and what was Im important in this case that made you write a book uh well i covered the case back then when i was a reporter at the standard times and i always planned wanted to write a book on the case, but I was waiting for an ending. I was waiting for the killer to be caught. So I waited and waited and waited and waited, and now it's you know 30 years later, and the killer still hasn't been caught, and I discovered that there are so many people that don't even remember the case, or they misremember what happened. And I thought it was very, very important to, especially on this 30th anniversary, to uh, renew interest in the case so that uh, perhaps someone who was uh, may have known something back then and they were afraid to come forward. Uh, this would give them an opportunity now that their lives have changed uh, to come forward, feel comfortable coming forward and uh, providing information. And the other thing is I just did not want these women forgotten. Um, they deserve justice, and so do their families. Their, their families have waited you know, 30 years for an answer. And if, if the killer is dead, uh, I think we all deserve an answer and need to know who it was. And if we, you know, he can't be tried, there can't be quote-unquote justice, uh, at least we have an answer. If he's not, we need to know who he is. And bring them to justice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What, what was the most like when you actually went and started writing the book? What is it that you learned that was the most surprising about the case? What what kind of shocked you that you didn't realize? What What was interesting? Now, this was a very public uh, type of investigation. The district attorney at the time uh, had regular press conferences. There was a quote-unquote, secret grand jury where witnesses, witnesses were coming in, testifying behind closed doors um, to a grand jury. And the, the testimony was secret. However, the media was outside the courthouse. The way the courthouse was structured, you could see who was going in, who was coming out. Uh, 
reporters would descend on the witnesses as they're walking down the steps, uh, and the people were basically outed as to who is uh, appearing before the grand jury, and the grand jurors were saying what they said inside the inside the grand jury room. Uh, but what I was able to find out, what I thought was going on in the grand jury, <coughs> I was able I was uh, able to obtain certain documents. <coughs> excuse me, that showed that what we thought was going on, what, while we thought that the grand jury and the district attorney was focusing in and honing in on this one suspect, um, the testimony in the grand jury and the evidence that they were getting was just much broader and that they really were looking at so many more people that the public was not aware of. Um, and the, 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 just the breadth of the investigation really surprised me at how deep it went and how many how many people were working on it and how many suspects they looked at and how many witnesses they uh, they talked with. I I wonder what actual aspect or what thing that um, we would need to find um, that would um, solve the crime. Um, do you think someone knows something and just is keeping quiet? Yes, I do. I do. I, I think that someone knows uh, knows something very concrete. You know, not that, oh, I think it was this person or I heard it was that person or I always suspected it was this person. Um, you know, because we can all suspect things like that. I mean, during the investigation, a number of people were coming forward saying that, you know, it was their ex-boyfriend who did it or their ex-husband who did it. And that with no evidence, real evidence to back it up. But I think that someone does have really concrete information, such as someone saying, I was there when this happened, or I did this. Um, that's the, uh, that's what's needed. And that person has got to come forward. Now, um, so what do you hope to get from the book? Is that sort of why you wrote it? You're hoping that this yes. would help resolve? Yes, it is. That's exactly uh, why I wrote it, that this would uh, focus more attention on the case, more attention on the, on the victims, and also uh, let people know that uh, we as a, as a community and as as a whole, have got to address issues of uh, drug addiction uh, head-on. Back in 1988, no one was talking about heroin addiction. Uh, families didn't know where to go. They didn't know where to turn to. There was very few uh, treatment programs available specifically for women at the time, and the slots available for women, there was long, long waiting lists for them. Uh, you know, today... Everyone's talking about the you know, opioid uh, epidemic. This has been going on a very long time. And if, if I really believe that if people had not stigmatized addiction back then, we probably would not be in the position in the, facing the problems uh, that we have today with drug addiction, you know, heroin addiction. Right. You know, it's interesting. Why Why do you think people do that? Why do we turn away from something like that? Is it, 
like you know uh, sexual um, promiscuity, you know uh, um, addiction to to drugs. Um, there's all these things that we do as a society that just, you know we try to not talk about it, and therefore it only gets worse. Yeah, and, and especially in, in your, you're right. Uh, and back then, uh, families were very embarrassed. Uh, you know, in the 70s and 80s, when uh, a family member was addicted to drugs, uh, no one really talked about it. You know, people would whisper about, it, oh, you know, so-and-so's kid is, 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 has problems with drugs without flat out saying they're addicted to heroin and they need help. Um, and, and families were afraid to admit it also and ashamed. And they didn't know what to do. It was just not, they didn't, they, they had no tools. Uh, today there, they, there are so many more tools for families and there's, support groups throughout the country for for families uh, there's so many more programs that are available um, other types of treatments whether it's methadone or uh, suboxone or um, well, and there's long-term uh, treatment programs that were very very expensive I mean they're still expensive today but they're even they were even more expensive back then and if someone didn't have insurance Forget it. Forget trying to get into anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, it's interesting. My sister, when she was 16, got pregnant back in the 70s, and they, they actually shipped her away. Yep, and that's what they did then. And today, that... It, yeah, it's there, there, there would not be, yeah, there would not be that, that shame. Yeah. Uh, it just, I look back, and I think, wow, how bizarre. They actually shipped her away to have her baby somewhere else, and we didn't even know. I was young, of course. I was—I yeah. didn't know. But um, it's strange because you would never do that now. Yeah, and 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 they probably forced her to put the child up for adoption. Yes, that's right. Yep. Yeah, because it, it was so, uh, I guess, embarrassing, and uh, yeah. and it's kind of strange, and that sort of doesn't solve the problem, you know. No, she didn't get pregnant alone. No, <laughs> and it didn't stop her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Um, so now um, there's a website out there too, isn't there, about the new Bedford Highway Killer? Uh, yes, I've got, uh, there is a website for the book, uh, shallowgravesthebook.com. Uh, I also have uh, several uh, Facebook pages uh, one of them is, and I always forget the names, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of them is just Shallow Graves. Um, the other one is Shallow Graves colon the hunt for the new bed for the highway serial killer. And then there is, I also have a uh, Facebook authors page uh, that people can reach me at. And people can also reach me on Twitter. Uh, Maureen E. Boyle 1, B-O-Y-L-E, the number 1. Uh, people can message me or just reach out to me through Twitter or through Facebook. Yeah, that's great. Or, 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 or through the uh, uh, shallowgravesofbook.com. Oh, yeah, of course. Now, the, um, what do you, what do, you do, do you think it's um, since the invention of court TV and all that, I sort of asked this, do you think it's helpful to 
have all of the trials televised like it is? Um, th- that that is a very good question. It's um, there. There's pluses and minuses. Uh, the pluses, the plus to it is that the uh, average person who doesn't get a chance to go to court and watch trials uh, can see the justice system in action. Uh, the minus to it is that in some cases people may play to the court, uh, to the to the camera, like the O.J. Simpson case. Right. Uh, or witnesses may be nervous about testifying because they would be on TV. So there's, yeah. there's pluses and minuses to it. But uh, having access to the information that is... Um, in the justice system, I, I think that is very important for the average person to, yeah, uh, to, I, to understand how things work. Right. Yeah, it's good. Um, I just sometimes worry, and sometimes we've had guests that have been through cases that have become very public, and and the public takes an attitude towards someone or some someone involved in the case without knowing all the answers or the, the evidence. And so sometimes I wonder if that taints the whole process. That is that uh, I, I can see that where people uh, only are only seeing a sliver of what is going on, because even in court, you don't get the whole story. It is just the evidence that's allowed in court. Sometimes there's other information that uh, tells the story a little bit more fully, uh, but it's not allowed as evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty interesting. Um, so now, are there any leads or anything else that people need to know about this particular case? Is there anything that um, we need to get out there? Um, well, if anyone knows someone who is in the New Bedford area during that period of time, that would have been through. Uh, March to uh, September 1988, uh, and they suspect or they have some evidence that this person might be the killer or may know who the killer is, um, they should uh, contact authorities or send me a message and we'll pass it on. Um, And especially if the person has moved out of state. Now, and also if anyone was with the person that they believe is the killer. Um, and they do have evidence. Um, we'd love to hear from them. Did they come up with a profile back then? It was, it was a fairly loose profile. And uh, as you know, the, uh, the profiles are not um, exact. Right. They, they help the uh investigators interview people and, and look for some general traits but it's uh, it's not something a type of profile where it, it is so stringent that you could say oh yes this is who it is because he's you know about 510 you know uh, brown hair and uh, you know th- that type of thing it's it, it isn't that type of a profile that they have. Yeah, yeah. 
So what do you got planned next? Like what, what goes on for Marine after this new Bedford uh, killer gets caught? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, and, and I'm glad you said, said it that way because um, I believe, I firmly believe he will be caught. I refuse to believe that anyone can get away with these many murders. It, it just is not allowed. Um, I'm working on a couple of other projects uh, right now, and we'll see how they, uh, how they come along. Yeah. Um, Jan, any, did you get any influences or meet anybody that sort of um, you, you've sort of uh, taken notice of uh, in working on this case or any other writers or books or anything? Um, oh, uh, what do you mean? Uh, other people that I've... Yeah, anybody. Who influences Maureen? Who influences my writing? Yeah. Uh, a wide range of, <laughs> of writers. Uh, I read both fiction and nonfiction, um, and my write, my reading tastes run the gamut of, uh, you know, any Stephen King uh, to, you know, really trashy <laughs> trashy books um, to, you know, it, it is anything that catches my fancy is, is what I read. Uh, it's it's not one one particular author. Uh, or one particular type of book. Um, I think that it's important for all of us to, you know, keep our minds open to all different uh, styles of writing, all different types of people, all different uh, voices, if, if uh, you will. Yeah. I, I, I read some very deeper types of books, and then I read some stuff that's just fun. I read long book, long novels and short stories. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> it is, it is. Uh, one of the authors that I just uh, recently have been reading a lot of is uh, Don Winslow. Uh, his books are absolutely wonderful. Uh, the Cartel and uh, is, is one of them. They're just wonderful, wonderful books. Oh, I have to look for it. Interesting. Yeah, well, and it's, it's, a, it's a fast read, it's a fun read, and then there's uh, some other, what I call fun read, is uh, Hank Phillippe Ryan's books. Of, uh, they're uh, fiction on a television reporter who seems to always find these murders. Yeah, and her books are fun. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk about the book, talk about the new Bedford Highway Killer. Our guest has been uh, Maureen Boyle, and we've been talking about the new Bedford Highway Killer and her book, Shallow Graves, um, the new Bedford Highway Serial Killers. Maureen, thank you for being with us today. Well, and thank you for having me on. And um, I have to thank your listeners for listening, and hopefully someone has the answer. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. 